from St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. The midterm election season is in full swing as candidates continue to campaign in order to distinguish themselves from opponents before the August 2nd primary. Not only are Missouri candidates vying for positions in Washington, D.C., including an open U.S. Senate seat, others are looking to begin or continue positions within the state's own legislature. On this week's episode of Politically Speaking, Drew Damp, executive director of the Missouri Senate Campaign Committee, joins the show to talk about the races within the Missouri Senate, including how the new Missouri district map drawn this year by a panel of appellate judges could shape the Senate for the next decade. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, State House and Politics reporter Sarah Kellogg. Joining me via Zoom in St. Louis is my co-host, St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent. Jason Merzenbaum. And joining us in the Jefferson City studio, he is the executive director of the Missouri Senate Campaign Committee. I'm Drew Damp. Thank you for joining us on the show. Before we get to the topic at hand, which is elections uh, within the Missouri Senate itself, we'd love it if you introduced yourself, told a little bit about you, who you are, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, so um, like you guys said in the intro, I'm Drew Damp. I uh, currently wear uh, two hats. This is the the job we're talking about today is actually what I call my moonlighting job that I do mostly at night and on the weekends. Um, and that is working for uh, the Missouri Senate Campaign Committee. Uh, what the Missouri Senate Campaign Committee is, is uh, basically it's the one campaign committee uh, that's designated by the Missouri Constitution or designated by the floor leader who's designated by the Missouri Constitution um, to work to promote and elect Republican candidates in uh, state Senate offices across the state. And so it has a few unique unique advantages. One of it is being the only PAC that any Senate's can, senator's candidate committee can actually donate to. So um, senators may have an outside PAC that is affiliated that supports them, but they can't have any direct coordination with that PAC, or they can't send you know any other candidates money from their campaign, their actual campaign account. Um, the only place they can really send money is either to uh, the uh, Senate committee, which is Missouri Senate Campaign Committee, to help elect Republicans, and then the Democrats also have a um, a like a, a likewise uh, pack on their side, and then the same for the House Republicans and House Democrats, or they can send it to the state party or um, you know a charity, a local party committee, somewhere like that. But they can't send that money to other candidates across the state, so it puts us in a really unique position of of kind of being the the leader in that aspect. And while we can't coordinate uh, with individual candidates, we can work with the outside entities that are promoting them. Um, to try to help uh, make sure that we keep, protect, and expand our Republican Senate majority. So can you explain kind of what Senate Republicans typically do to support candidates? Is is there kind of this official organization? Yeah, sure. So um, what our job is, is we try to look at or publicly signal to candidates, um, you know, areas where we think um, 
we can be helpful or areas where maybe we see something um, that their campaign's lacking. So for example, um, you, the candidates get a much much more advantageous television rate on broadcast television uh, for TV ads and, and commercials um, than outside organizations do. So a lot of times we focus our efforts on mail, on digital, um, maybe even some on radio, although candidates still get a better, a better rate on that as well. Um, but that's, we really try to take up one area of the campaign that we can be good at support. And then hopefully the candidate sees that they see that, oh, well, the Missouri Senate campaign committee has been dropping mail pieces for me. I need to shift my focus on television or on radio or on door knocking. Um, so we try, we try to supplement the campaign in a way, um, that they don't necessarily know about until it's happening. Um, but I, I think if you look over for candidates and for those who work with candidates, political consultants, whoever it may be, campaign managers running campaigns, um, you kind of look over the course of history and you say, okay, well, this is what MSCC did in this race. And so we know we're a similar like-minded race. We may, um, you know, kind of wait and see before we start a mail plan um, if MSCC is is dropping mail. Uh, the, the one area where, you know, really kind without without uh the the law is unclear but we try to stay on the safe side and making sure that uh you know we don't share polling with candidate committees and and the candidate committees will obviously have to do their own polling and i'm I'm sure we'll talk probably a little more in depth about that later um but that's probably the one area where we still duplicate things because of the lack of ability to coordinate with individual campaigns um but otherwise we try to um, we try to show our cards to our candidates you know in a in a legal way um on the things that are advantageous for us and that we think the committee's good at and then um hopefully they're able to then take their resources and focus on other things um to be successful so if anybody who's listened to this show knows that i have not been that impressed with the campaign donation limits that were enacted in the Missouri Constitution in 2016. I think it's one of the most laughably ineffective systems in America as far as like actually keeping money out of the process. And that's largely because Missouri allows candidates supporters to set up political action committees. Does that reality weaken groups like yours are your Democratic equivalent? Um, I, to some extent, I think I think it can. Um, you know, I really think it, what it comes down to is who is kind of being the the quarterback of the outside groups, and and that's what I kind of, you know, in my role. It, in, in this job. And I, I always try to make sure that, um, you know, because we can talk to the PACs, that we're talking to the individual PACs that are associated um, with candidates. And, and I think the one area, like, kind of like I said earlier, the one area where we do have an advantage um, in competitive races, obviously we we don't play in primaries, but in competitive races um, where it's a Republican versus a Democrat from, you know, pretty much August to uh, November, when we're really focused on them, um, we have the advantage that if, if a candidate's raised a bunch of money, like let's say someone in Southwest Missouri who's in a safe Republican seat has raised a bunch of money and, and they're term limited out, um, instead of just you know giving that money to charity or giving that money to their local party committees or sitting on it for you know uh, several years, like I think some have, um, they are able to donate to the Missouri Senate Campaign Committee um, for you know to help advance 
uh, Republican prospects in other more competitive districts across the state. Um, so I, I think what it's really probably weakened more than anything are political party committee, political party committees. But, you know, those were those even under the old system of no limits were probably not as, as powerful as they had been. Um, so I, has it posed some challenges for us? For sure. Um, it would be <laughs> so much easier to just be able to go and talk to somebody's campaign manager and everybody tell them what they're going to do. And, um, you know, there would there inevitably are always a few things that get duplicated that you wish you didn't have to, and you wish you were all working from the same set of research and the same set of numbers, um, and you could talk about things that you're seeing on the ground. Um, but I think you know, I think it's just it's it's more than anything, it's made more hoops to jump through, and um, definitely uh, more people to talk to instead of you know instead of just talking to the candidate or the the campaign manager. You're now going and talking to the person who's running the pack and the folks that are working with them, and so it's. Probably um, it's probably added a, a level of I don't want to say bureaucraticness, but um, oh, I don't think that's a word. Um, but a level of bureaucracy. There we go um, to the process that uh, that definitely wasn't there before. Now, before we get into the map, I just want to touch on a point that you made. Your group doesn't get involved in Republican primaries, but obviously there's been a pretty like noticeable schism within the GOP caucus and the Senate where leadership is 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 constantly fighting with this group of senators that don't like leadership given that reality is there any chance that your group may decide to get involved in primaries yeah, I think it'll be it'll be kind of uh, individual senators that have their own groups, you know, whether it's um, a member of leadership or even a rank and file member, or whoever, whoever it may be. Um, they also all have their outside entities that uh, that are, you know, raising money to support them as well. And so I think those entities will kind of have the family food fight, as I would call it. And then um, once once August comes, um, we'll all unite back together. And and that's where our pack kind of comes in and um, will hopefully kind of play quarterback on the efforts to uh, pull Republicans across the finish line and all, you know, all the competitive districts across the state. So let's get into this uh, Missouri State Senate map. Mm -hmm. uh, so how do you think the process to create this map went? Uh, you know, all in all, I think it went fairly well. I think you see, um, I, I watched a lot of the um, a lot of the commission, their citizens commission meetings. And, and, and I think you, I think the process has shown you saw it with the house that the commission, the citizens commission process will work. And I know Jason and I have talked about this before um, that, you know, whether debated, whether or not we thought the citizens commission process would actually work. And I, and I think it was really positive to see that, um, you know, it, it's always going to be hard when you, when you have 10, uh, 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats. And, you know, they're usually pretty strident in their, views if you're serving on that commission you don't always send you know a bunch of Susan Collinses for the for the Republicans and a bunch of Joe Manchins for the Democrats to sit down and make a deal on a map that's going to have political implications implications for the next 10 years I mean that's just um, not reality so I, I think I, I think it's it was very positive and I'm glad we were able to see the house that uh, commission was actually able to produce a map now that being said on the Senate uh, I think you see some of the um, a lot of the same uh, characteristics of uh, maps that both the uh, Republican commissioners and the Democrat commissioners floated um, drawn into this map. I mean, you know, obviously like the 19th, everybody knew Boone County was going to be Boone County, but I think I think you see like the 6th. I, I, I believe that in at least some versions they had um, 
they had uh, the, you know the six picking up Camden County in both the Republican Senate commissioners maps or if you go to the 26 where they uh, kind of the only split they made uh, taking a part of St. Louis County into another part of the state was Eureka. And so they both had kind of agreed on that principle and the judges um, that drew the map, it, you know, adhered to, to that agreement that had, had already been made. So, um, you know, while the process wasn't successful, I think as far as on the Citizens Commission part goes, I think we did see that have some influence on the product that uh, the judges came out with. Do you think that the Senate Commission ended up deadlocking because there are higher stakes for the Senate to have theoretically 14 Democrats compared to whether or not the House has 55 Democrats? Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, and I think um, I, I think that definitely plays a part of it, too. Um, the Senate the Senate is, you know, you guys cover the legislature and you see the difference between the two legislative bodies. Um, whenever whenever uh, one, even just one more senator on either side, and, and, you know, this is, we have these conversations with folks, um, you know, folks that are watching from the outside and they're like, does it really matter if you have 24, 25 Republican members? And the answer is yes, absolutely it does. Um, because, you know, there may be a bill that that 25th Republican member would sit down on and vote yes for or not say anything and debate. And the Democratic member may stand up and say, well, I'm going to talk for 10 hours and demand a bunch of concessions. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think I, I think that is a definitely played a part in it. And the stakes were were higher. Um, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, I'm not sure that the House uh, like you said, if if there was no way really to draw the Democrats back into majority in either map, for that matter, with the current kind of political winds of Missouri. Um, but I, I, I definitely think um, the concern with with the House of, you know, maybe getting a few more members on one side or on the other was probably not as significant as it was for the Senate. Do you think that the process could be better in 2031, which, by the way, is when the Jonas Brothers predicted we'll all be living underwater? <laughs> Actually, I think that was the year 3000 year or something. 3000. Oh, the year 3000. OK, <laughs> going well, back to my high school days. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's always going to be a messy process. Like there's there's no way to um, to do this process without there being some controversy without there being some people with hurt feelings um, without there being some people thinking something wasn't fair um, so you know I, I it's it's hard to say um, but I, I think I think the process that we have uh, and you know going back to this again but I think we've shown the process that we have can work and um, hopefully you know by the time by the time we get there, um, in 2031 and, and we see how these maps play out um, and having some precedent set for how this specific process being it you know somewhat new and somewhat the same as what we previously had um, hopefully that that precedent kind of gives them a little bit better guide to start from than what the commissions had to start from this year is there any chance for Republicans to retain the Boone County seat considering it now only has Boone County and that county leans towards Democrats yeah so I think that one is that one is the seat um, that, and we all kind of knew it was coming with the growth in Boone County, but I think that one was the seat that we had all, um, you know, folks that are wa that were watching this process expected to see uh, us lose going forward. Now, I will say we've had, you know, a great candidate who's worked very hard and Senator Caleb Rowden, who's the majority leader currently in the Senate. And um, he that district used to, at least under the, 
the map that um, previously up until this election was in place, or I guess you could say still is in place. Um, he had Cooper County to go along with that, and that is typically, you know, the game plan for Republicans there was keep Boone County as close as possible and run up the score in Cooper County and you can win. And he, you know, executed that strategy to perfection twice. Uh, but now that you take Cooper County out of that equation, I, I joked with somebody the other day, I was like, well, if, if it was up this year and we had a rock star, like celebrity type candidate, like Carl Edwards or John Sunvold or Gary Pinkle or somebody like that, that was really well known in Columbia. Um, you know, I would think that we, we would, you know, it would cost a lot of money, but we'd have a chance to, to actually hold on to it. Um, but I, I think if it's a, if it's a normal year where, um, where there's you know no strong headwinds for either party either way, uh, yeah, I think it I think it's a pretty challenging seat and would uh, cost a lot of money and we would have to we would have to you know take a look at the field and evaluate what our opportunities were in other places. I think that there are some odd number districts um, that are up with uh, the same time that seat will be up, whether it be the 11th in Jackson County or the 17th in Clay County. Um, where especially when they're open seats um, and you look at kind of how Trump uh, performed there and, and really just their composite score of the trends of that district from even the last four years, um, that we will we will have to evaluate whether or not it's better to go spend a lot of money in the 19th and try to win that or try to you know pick up the 11th and the 17th um, with candidates there. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. And we're back on Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's State House and Politics Reporter, Sarah Kellogg. My co-host, Jason Rosenbaum, who is St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent, is joining us via Zoom. And our guest today is Drew Damp, who is the executive director of the Missouri Senate Campaign Committee. So we have more election questions for you. And so our first one is kind of more on 2022. What do you believe is the general outlook for Senate Republicans in 2022? Um, you know, it, I think it looks really good. I, I think, uh, you know, anytime that there is a president of the opposing party in the White House, um, you know, you always think you have a chance to pick up some seats or at least have a have a little bit better outlook. Um, for your party going into that election. And then I think when you couple, you know, when you couple um, the, that just in general on top of inflation, on top of rising gas prices, on top of, you know, the issues at the border, on top of the, you know, botched withdrawal in Afghanistan, the war in Ukraine, all of these things that, uh, you know, really tend to lead um uh, towards us having what I think could really be the best year since 2010 um, and, and maybe even better than that. And, you know, some people will say, well, yeah, those are all national things, though. But I think if we've seen anything over politics in the last few years and, and you can look across the northern half of Missouri where there used to be a whole bunch of Democrat and county commissioners and now there aren't any. Um, I think you've seen that that really all politics is national now, and that the national trends and wins have a um, have a outsized impact on even our our state level and local level elections. What do you think it'd be fair to say that the most action in general is in Republican primaries? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I and look, I think with the map that we have and the incumbents that we have. 
Um, I, you, you, there's going to be a lot of action in 2024 um, just because of how the numbers fall. I think that there are, um, you know, in the Senate, you have your even number, even numbers districts up one year and the odd numbers di- districts up the other year because everybody's serving on four-year terms. And this year, all the even number districts are up. And I think um, the even number districts that we have now, given that the 30th and the 34th both have strong incumbents in them, um, really uh, limit the number of competitive seats that we're going to focus on this year. So for this year, yeah, I think a lot of the action is in the primaries. But w- I don't think that will always be be true with this map. I think that um, you know, in 2024, you're going to see probably some some very active and competitive general elections um, in multiple districts, um, both in the you know Kansas City suburban area and St. Louis suburban area. There are a number of incumbents who are facing primary challenges. So, from scanning the Secretary of State's website, it's Senators Brown, Sirpoy, Crawford, Huff, White, and Burnscatter all have primary opponents. Are any of these primary challenges actually considered serious? Well, I think all of them are going to take the primary challenges serious. Um, and I think if anyone doesn't, you know, they'll, they'll, anyone who doesn't take a challenge at any time, even if it's just a name on the ballot, seriously, um, I think is, is not doing their due diligence. I mean, I look back to, I think it was the Senate president pro tem of New Jersey had a uh, Republican truck driver, or he was a Democrat and then had a truck driver who really spent like $500 on his campaign. And I may not have all these facts, right, but spent very little money and um, ended up beating him on election day. So I think, by the way, by the way, that happened in Missouri first on the house side where a truck driver, very true, very true independence, uh, spent zero dollars and won a house seat and almost won a senate almost won a senate seat yeah i so my first election really being involved with the missouri senate campaign committee was um was 2016 and that was when brent lassiter almost snuck up on senator rizzo and um and came within just a few uh a few percentage points of uh, winning a senate seat in in 2016 so yeah so but the one race that i think really out of all of that that seems really serious is the 16th district race, which also happens to be in our coverage area because it includes Rolla. And you have Senator Justin Brown running against State Representative Susie Pollock. And I remember when Susie Pollock's husband, Daryl Pollock, mm-hmm. was in the House. That couple is very well known in Laclede County, which is a major population center of that district. So I would agree with you that if Justin Brown does not take that challenge seriously, Susie Pollock could absolutely beat him. Is that kind of your view as well, or am I just reading this race completely wrong? Uh, no, I mean I think anytime you have a sitting state rep running against an incumbent senator, it's going to be uh, you know it's going to be a clash of the titans. And um, I I think uh, I think Senator Brown is taking the race really seriously, and I and I think um, you know we're, we'll probably see a lot of money spent on on both sides in that race. And um, you know there's new gra- there's new territory that district changed you know a, a fair amount, including Laclede um, County being added in. So, um, yeah, out of, out of all the, out of all the primaries, I expect that one to maybe be the most competitive and, um, it will, it will definitely be a race. And, and I think, um, you, you know, I, I feel confident in, in Senator Brown's ability to do that, but, um, or to, to win that race, but certainly, yeah, um, they're all going to have to take all the primaries seriously. And, and that one is, that one is probably at the top of the list. How many open seat GOP primaries are there this year and are they all reasonably competitive or are there just races where one candidate has an edge over another one? Sure. So there's six open uh, Republican primaries this year in seats that, uh, you know, I would, at least from the Senate 
campaign committee perspective, um, consider seats that we should definitely hold on to um, against Democratic opponents. And in fact, I think most of them don't even have Democratic opponents. Um, but really, this year, I think the primaries are as wide open as they've ever been. Um, and, and I think every, you know, usually at least going back in, in kind of the time that I've been involved with this since really probably 2014 to 2016, um, this is the first time where I would say there's not a primary um, an open primary where there's some someone I can point to to say, well, we know that person is going to win that race. So um, we'll just run through them real quick. Um, you know, the 12th district, there are three candidates, and I think all three definitely have a shot at winning. Um, you have the 20th district where there's two really strong candidates that I think could both could both would not be surprised to see either one pull out. Um, gosh, in the 10th district, there's at least five candidates. Um, I was going to say, I thought there's like a hundred thousand candidates. <laughs> yeah. There's, the a, tenth, there's a, there's a, it, it really seems like uh, it, it Fitzwater, Porter and um, Randy Peitzman you have. And Peitzman are the main candidates. Yeah. There, and, and, and former rep Brian Spencer. Um, and then don't want to forget him. Yeah. Sorry, and then you sorry, have representative, former representative. Spencer, <laughs> continue. And, and then you have the judge, Mark, Mike Carter, who actually ran in the Bill Eigel and Zaire primary. Oh, oh, I remember. Um, and, and he's the king of robo. And also he ran against Mike Kehoe. That's and right. He for Lieutenant Governor. Some counties yes. because of his robo, his robo calls. Well, and. Um, I mean, I think we can't discount the fact that he's given himself a half million dollars um, into his campaign so far. And I've seen I've seen mailers and, and uh, newspaper ads floating around from him already. So, I mean, that that race is is wide open. I think you've got, you know, Representative Fitzwater kind of comes from the eastern side of that district. Or I'm sorry, the western side of the district. And then you have the other candidates in Peitzman, Spencer, Carter, um, who come from the eastern side. And Porter kind of comes right from the middle. Um, so there's going to be a base for, for everyone. And I think that one will really be about who is, um, you know, who's getting out, who's, who's shoring up their base and making sure their voters come out, but also who's getting out into the other places and chipping away at the, you know, the bases of, um, of their opponents. So that's, that's definitely going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, and then not, I mean, literally next door to the 10th, you have both the 26th Senate district, which has three candidates, um, a current state representative and representative Nate Tate. You have um, Ben Brown, who is a local restaurant owner in St. in St. Louis County, but lives in, in Franklin County. And then you have um, Bob Jones, who is a you know local businessman in um, in Franklin County as well. And so I think that one's really wide open. I think it is, um, you know, there for the taking And that district changed pretty significantly because almost half of that population was in St. Louis County in the current district that Senator Schatz represents. And now it is um, just a small portion in Eureka uh, of that part of St. Louis County. All the rest has gone out really all the way over to Osage County and in the central part of Missouri. I would call that, you know, reaching out to mid-Missouri. Um, so uh, there's a lot of new territory to cover for all those candidates. And um, it'll really be about who can who can shore up their base in Franklin County, but also who can get out to those new parts and um, and really win those voters over. Um, and so then moving on next to next to that in, in kind of the suburban St. Louis area, you have the second um, Senate district that's currently represented by uh, Senator Dr. Bob Onder and who is running for um, St. Charles County executive. Uh, you have two state reps who are battling it out for for that race and Representative Nick Schroer and Representative John Weeman. Um, I yeah, think and I was going to just interject that race has the potential to be really nasty. I've kind of gotten the sense that both of those two have been sparring with each other 
on the house floor over a lot of things. Is that kind of your anticipation as well? Yeah, uh, certainly it's, it's going to be kind of a uh, grab your popcorn type race because um, they've, they've, they've had some spars in the legislature and in the house. And um, I think, uh, you know, St. Charles County, I, I tell people is uh, maybe like the most politically active county in the state. Um, it seems like, especially in Republican politics, not only is it, is it a, you know, strong Republican county but um they you know seem to be very active and, and there's just a lot of um when it comes to republicans kind of the whole spectrum of the party that has um really ascended on that county whether it be your trump conservatives um you know your more evangelical conservatives or more of your establishment folks um even the the union friendly republicans they've all kind of converged in that one place as they've kind of uh, began to exit from the st louis city and north county and places like that and so um that that always makes for really interesting races in st charles uh there's two places in politics that i like to watch just for just for fun and because i'm a political nerd um one of them is st the republican primaries in st charles because they're always interesting and then the second is st louis city politics which we can say for for another time and place but um it is it is my uh, secret obsession watching St. Louis City Democratic intra party politics from afar in in my mid Missouri home. So, what about the twenty second district race in Jefferson County, where you have three Republican state reps, Mary Elizabeth Coleman, Dan Shaw, and Shane Roden running against former Democratic State Representative Jeff Rorta, who is now running as a Republican. You know, that's that is uh, probably the most wide open one right now, I would say. Um, and it, it's going to be really interesting because I am, you know, don't like, like to say I'm not very old in politics, but I am old enough to remember when Jeff Rorta was the Senate candidate for the Democrats there and a Democratic candidate for county executive there, I believe, like four years ago. And then, uh, you know, really uh, did a did a 180 to the Republican Party um and and you know is now running running in the primary there and quite frankly i think with a lot of his um a lot of his background and ties can can make a pitch to republican voters that he's you know that he is uh kind of seen the light in donald trump and you know and and will will certainly have some some voters in that area which has a lot of former democrats turned republicans um, that uh, that that can that will sympathize with him and that will vote in that primary. But I think you also have, like you said, three representatives: Representative Dan Shaw, who um, you know I've seen already has an endorsement. I think from the Arnold Police in that race. You have Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman, who really flipped a seat uh, when she ran the first time. Uh, that was lost right after Trump in a special election, and then she came and defeated a Democrat. And then, you know, didn't even have an opponent the second time around in that race. So I think that really speaks to what she was able to do and, and her strength as a candidate. And then you have Representative Shane Roden, who's, um, you know, has also has some union ties. And and we, you know, we all know that they uh, work the ground really hard. So I, you know, I, I, I had somebody ask me the other day, they said, can pick the pick the primary or pick the person you think is most likely to win their primary. And I really struggled um, just as kind of an, an onlooker to um, to come up with one person that I thought was had a stranglehold on 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 the race. So how do you think these primaries will affect how the Senate operates in 2023? 
Oh wow, that's a really good question. Um, you know, it's always it's always hard to say. Um, just because uh, people, the Senate is such a different body from the House. Um, and and I know, you know, when you're even, you know, before I really, um, before I really started working here, uh, people say that, and you're like, yeah, of course it is, but um, you don't really understand it, I think, until you watch it, you know, up close every day, and how it, it's it's much more relationship oriented. One person can um, can really. Um, can really, you know, take things off the rails in the Senate if they want to. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's probably too early to tell. Um, but I, I think it will it will be different just because every Senate is different. And, um, you know, there's going to be some members that we lo- that we lose that um, will, you know, that affected the day to day operation of the Senate, just like we're going to gain some people that are going to affect the day to day operations of the Senate. And I mean, quite frankly, there'll be some members that come back that um, after having some experience may operate a little bit differently, too. So um, that, that that's that's a really hard one to predict. And, and um, I, I can't tell you how it will operate, but I can guarantee you it will be different. So do you do you see a situation where uh, the conservative caucus, which as of me counting right now, consists of normally seven members in the chamber of the 34 member chamber. Do you see a situation where the conservative caucus, which by my count right now is normally uh, seven members of the 34 member body, could potentially gain enough numbers to take the majority of Republicans in the chamber? Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. I think it, a lot of it depends on um, which sides they pick in all the primaries. Um, you know, I think that there are some where, you know, you, you kind of know where the conservative caucus is going to fall and, and where um, maybe of the maybe the rest of the folks are going to fall in candidates that they support. But I think that there's some races, too, that um, it, it, that's not clear yet. And so um, I, that's probably that'll probably be easier to predict as, you know, July comes and we've seen where people started to spend money and um, the lines are maybe drawn a little more clearly. But, um, you know, regardless, I think I think the uh, most important thing that whether they be the people running or whether it be the conservative caucus or whether it be the other folks in the Republican in the Republican caucus um, want is to just see the Senate functional and operational. And um, I think more than anything, probably uh, not having a congressional redistricting map to um have to work through um, and really just like sucking all the air out of the room from the beginning and something that's that contentious. I mean, I, I think everybody knew that that was going to be a contentious issue coming into session. And um, so not having to start with something that is that um, significant this this next year um, will hopefully lead itself to uh, making it making it to where, you know, Republicans as a whole are more unified. There's at least one race that could be competitive in the general election, the 24th Senatorial District. Mm-hmm. It was initially thought that Representative Tracy McCreary would run away with the race, but the district she's seeking to represent isn't as Democratic as people were expecting. How do you see Republicans running in this contest? So I am actually really excited um, about the opportunity that we have in the 24th. Um, you know, there, there are there there is a primary there. There are two candidates. I will fully, you know, fully admit um, one of the candidates I am not as familiar with um, and I, I haven't seen as much um, life and action out of their campaign so far. Um, but I'm really, really excited about Dr. George Haruza, um, who is running in that district. Um, he is someone with an incredible story, an incredible background. 
Um, and, and I think he serves as, you know, the best chance to, to win that seat as it's currently drawn as, you know, any candidate that we could have, that we could have recruited. Um, so I'm really excited about him. I think that's going to be a barn burner of a race. I mean, I think if you, you know, just pulling up the, the composite score here, it's about a, it's a, it's about a, oh, seven ish point, uh, Democrat favored district. Now I think, um, you know, you have to take that in context and, um, consider the races that were there. And, you know, that that was during the era of Trump when there were portions of this district that probably loved Trump and portions of this district that um, were less um, favorable to Trump or soured on Trump uh, faster than um, than probably the state and nation as a whole um, in, in those independent leaning voters that don't necessarily identify with one party or the other. So um, I think we have a real opportunity here. I will, I've told a lot of people this because, you know, the common consensus until really the maps came out was that it was a shoe in for Representative McCreary in this race. And what, what I've told people is like, hey, if, if this were the NRCC or the or the DCCC or the DSCC, all the national, um, you know, uh, party committees in the, the House and the Senate, um, they would absolutely have this race on the it w- in the environment that we're in. They would absolutely have this race, you know, in their toss up category as one that's winnable and that they're, you know, going out there and recruiting the best candidate that they can. And so I think we've we've got a great candidate there. And I think it's um, it is going to be a battle. It'll be a um, a close race till the finish. But I, I definitely think that it is uh, a the best pickup opportunity we've had of a seat in a really long time. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Jordan, for joining us here in our Jefferson City office. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah K. Kellogg. Jason, where can people find you on Twitter? Jay Rosenbaum. And Drew Damp, where can people find you on the internet where you want to be found? At Drew Damp, D-A-M-P-F. All right, until next time, so long. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.